We're going to be providing this presentation, a very brief presentation on, on the Venezuela's, Venezuelan situation. Um, I, probably you're wondering why, why we changed the title of our presentation, because in, in the schedules, there was something like Venezuela from economic miracle to economic disaster. And uh, actually, I decided to change the, the name of the presentation, because I think we, it, it better captures the, the nature of our problem, what happened exactly. Um, before, before continuing, I, I really want to thank the Mises Institute for this opportunity um, because uh, it's, it's been uh, one of the greatest weeks I've had in my life, uh, and I'm talking, I'm talking seriously. And uh, uh, yeah, we are going to try to explain the untold part of our recent history, okay? Uh, we're going to have like a journey through uh, our institutions of the last century. Um, what, what cause? We're going to try to delve into the causes of our current uh, economic, uh, political, social, and especially moral disaster we're, we're living now in Venezuela. Um, first of all, before continuing, I, I would like to point out two things. First, that freedom must be understood in its proper dimension. Um, um, through, through our speech, you're going you're gonna to notice that in Venezuela, when we um, enjoyed very high levels of economic freedom, um, we were under dictatorial regi regimes. And when we finally embraced democracy, uh, we started killing the economic freedom. But it was not all at once, you know? It was, it, it was a gradual, progressive. Well, I swear, to my, I swear to myself not to use that word anymore in my life, but I... I <laughs> Yeah, it was a gradual thing, you know? Uh, we started killing our economic freedom um, at the expense of the welfare of million, millions of people. The second thing I would like to point out is that socialism never, ever works. No matter what Krugman, Stiglitz, or, or guys in Spain like Pablo Iglesias say, uh, it doesn't matter what they say, it never works. Because it was very common, especially during the first years of, the, of Chavez mandate, to hear these guys you know, on TV or, or writing or something saying, Venezuela has the socialism that works. And, and, and that's not true, okay? Having this in mind, I have to tell you as a fairy tale that this land, there was a time when this land was really prosperous and wealthy, okay? And you can see the, the, the years there. Um, we, to the point of being considered an economic miracle in the specialized literature, okay? Many books, uh, you can see that in many books. Okay, as I was saying, um, during those years, out of, out of the five presidents we had during those decades, four were the dictators, you know, uh, and generals of the army. So our civil and political rights were really uh, diminished, con constrained. Uh, we didn't have freedom of the press, for example. We didn't have uh, universal suffrage. Um, we were under dictatorships, but citizens could enjoy, still could enjoy, um, high levels of economic freedom. And I, and I will show you why. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna play a video 
uh, short, short video so that you can see the level of development Venezuela was reaching during the 50s, okay, during the 50s. I have to say that I do not agree with some things shown in the video, but it's the video, I couldn't edit it. You can download it on you, uh, from YouTube, so <laughs> there is no problem with that, but we do not agree with some things shown in the video, but it, it captures more or less the, the level of development Venezuela was reaching during those days. This I do not agree with. <laughs> Let me introduce you to the institutions, especially the economic institutions we had then. From 1914 to 1922, Venezuela started entering the international oil race, you know, because in 1914, we had the explosion of our first oil well. Uh, but there was an outstanding feature here uh, of this period. The government did not, uh, did not attempt to make the mistake of handling, of managing the business. The government did not own the business. 
It was privately owned, uh, just private international companies that reside in Venezuela, um, you know, had con concessions, I think it's the word, con concessions to, to explore and exploit the, the oil. So the government did not make the mistake of managing the business. That's one of the key points you, you got to keep, keep in mind. Now, how about taxes during those days, during those decades? Well, in 1957, uh, precisely, the, the marginal uh, income tax on individuals was 12%. 12%. And um, uh, uh, there was, of course, there was a, there was a state, we had a state, uh, but it, uh, the consolidated public sector absorbed 20% of the GDP which was mainly used to, to build the basic infrastructure of the country, as you saw in the video, um, and that's it, okay? Uh, it was like, uh, you know, let's say limited government, I don't know, a limited state, something like that. How about international trade? We were relatively free to trade internationally because we had tariffs that were on average high Yes, I have to say that, but no other major barriers to trade. I mean, no quotas, no anti-dumping laws, no safeguard laws, etc., etc., etc. We were relatively free to trade internationally. How about controls? There were just a few state-owned companies, okay? And virtually no price, no rent, no interest rate, and no exchange rate control. So we were really free. Uh, economically. One of the fundamental pillars of our um, development, of our prosperity during those decades, was the, the judicial system. Justice was impartially administered, uh, especially when it was about protecting private property and businesses. Okay? Uh, of course, there was corruption, but it was concentrated at the highest levels of the government. It was not, uh, you know, all the way down through the bureaucratic structure to, through, through the country, you know. It was just uh, concentrated at the, at the highest levels of the government. At least during those years. In 1939, nothing is perfect, you know. Nothing is perfect in this life. And we had to make the mistake. Uh, we couldn't afford to be the last ones in this race of destruction, and we had to create our own central bank. <laughs> we did it. But I have to say that uh, during those years and up to the 60s, the central bank acted as a currency board, defending an irrevocable fixed exchange rate with the US dollar. That's how it worked. And, and it was mainly private as well. Now, despite the high levels of economic freedom we had during those years, um, some government decisions started to chip away that freedom. Uh, you know, decisions like the first nationalization of the, of the telephone company, or for example, the, the creation of, of some state-owned companies and some state-owned banks with the purpose of developing the country, you know? And that happened in 1950. Yeah, we started showing the seeds of our destruction, our institutional destructions, because you can see the deterioration in the level of economic freedom we, we, we started having from the 50s to, to, well, this is 1958. 
1958, we, um, we finally embraced democracy. The last dictatorial regime of, the, of, of our modern history was overthrown in 1958. But the uh, political elites that you know, got into power uh, democratically, they decided to, obviously they, they provided us with more political and civil rights because, because we started having uh, freedom of the press, universal suffrage, etc., all those rights, but they decided to keep reducing uh, the economic freedom. The guy, you, the guy you see in the picture, well, the other guy you know who he is, right? Fidel Castro. But the guy you, you, you see there is, was the first president elected democratically in Venezuela in 1958. He's Romulo Betancourt. And as you can see, well, I think he was a communist transformed into a social democrat. Uh, in fact, when he was in exile, he, um, he founded the Communist Party in Costa Rica and also helped found the... the um, Communist Party in Colombia as well. So he, you know, started destroying the economic institutions we had uh, because he started implementing price controls, for example, rent controls, uh, things that we hadn't had before. And um, on top of that, he created a new constitution. He and his friends created a new constitution. And with that in that constitution was hostile to private property, okay? But don't you dare say a word against him in Venezuela because he is the father of our, of our democracy. <laughs> don't, you, don't you dare say a word against him, even now. From that moment on, power went back and forth between social democrats and social Christians. Okay, so there was no free market system implemented in Venezuela. Uh, of course, we had more economic freedom than, than we're having now, but there was no a total um, free, um, free market system implemented, okay? But these guys were, were very smart because they always blame free markets for the failures they were committing, you know? Now, <clears throat> they applied the same rules, okay? All of the presidents that came uh, after uh, Romulo Betancourt applied the same recipe. Um, as you can see, all of them were social democrats or social Christians. The guy that you see with a the star there, the red star, Carlos Andres Perez, he, uh, he was the president of Venezuela twice. And I have to say, during this, his second mandate, he tried to revert some of the policies he implemented during his first mandate and try to liberalize prices, some controls, and, and privatize things, etc. But some of the, the things that he, he uh, should have implemented, he didn't do it, and he also didn't take into account the importance of the sequence of the reforms he was trying to implement. What was the result? Well, we uh, have, you know, there was a crisis, and, and the total demonization of free markets. So that was the result of that. If I have to summarize what, what all these guys did, uh, I think there is no better picture that describes what they did. You know, uh, all, of the, all of the policies they implemented consisted of state ownership of the resources and of the commanding heights of the economy. I mean, oil industry, gas industry, electricity, telecom, et cetera, et cetera, iron, et cetera. 
They also applied mercantilist policies, such as quotas, tariffs, anti-dumping laws, etc., etc., to favor some businesses uh, in, uh, you know, at the expense of the welfare of, of people. And they, they started touching the currency. They started destroying the purchasing power of our currency, devaluing the currency uh, um, you know, frequently. So that created a huge inflation in the country, and, 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 uh, and the poverty rate started to increase. And on top of that, they decided to destroy our uh, judicial system because perverse incentives were created for delinquency and corruption. Now corruption was not you know, just at the highest levels of the government, but was spread all over the structure and all over the country. And you can imagine that that was a fertile ground. That was the, the perfect scenario for an outsider. Uh, I, I call him an outsider because he didn't belong to the, to the parties, you know, to the traditional parties that were, I don't know how to say it, ping-ponging the power between, um, um, during 40 years. But he was an outsider and he was populist with his populist speech. He, uh, you know, he was very charismatic, to, especially to the poorest people of, the, of, the, of Venezuela, of the country. I'm talking about Hugo Chavez. And he emerged. He was elected president. What did he offer? Well, he, he offered to change a light socialism by a more radical socialism. That, that's what he offered. In 1998, he was elected president. And he was very popular at the moment. OK, you see again the picture with, with this guy. Uh, I think he's an ide ideological son of, of Fidel Castro. He's communist as well. Um, and he, having the power of reverting the policies that his predecessors implemented, because he was very, very popular at the moment, he didn't do it. Okay? And uh, he just exacerbated past mistakes. That's, that's what he did. And also created a new constitution, which is even more hostile to private property than the one we, we had before. But don't you dare say anything against him. Well, not now, but in the first years of his mandate, don't you dare say anything against him because he's considered by many the Jesus Christ of Latin America. <laughs> when he died, or, or when he de his, his death was officially announced, okay, on March 5th, 2013, Nicolás Maduro was practically put in power. So... What he did, you can see from his records here, he did nothing but continuing with the policies of Chavez. But now he's trying to approve a new constitution with which private property practically disappears and with which he can remain in power forever. Okay? So this is, <laughs> yeah, socialism at its finest. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, let you with Rafael. He's going to explain the results of all this and, and things that we are living as we speak. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I have to tell you the saddest part of his history. Let me start with an international view of Venezuela. How is Venezuela in the international? the rest of the world. Economic freedom of the world is an index of the Fraser Institute. Uh, by the way, the professor Terrell used it in some of his conferences. 
Well, in 1997, you can see here, Venezuela were ranking as the 10th most free country of the world. In fact, uh, best ranking than USA in the 2016 report of this index. But since 2010, we are in the last spot of this ranking, okay? This index, it's important to say this, this index has a lag of two years. So uh, the 2016 report it reflects the results of, of the 2014. For this reason, we expect that Venezuela will be in the last spot up to 2019. Uh, the World Bank has an index that measures the issue of doing business. Uh, well, Venezuela is almost the last of this ranking. Okay. Uh, while in New Zealand, that is the first country of this index, you last almost one, just one day to start a business. In Venezuela, you can last up to 200 days to start a business. <clears throat> the Index of Transparency International, uh, well, ranks Venezuela as the most corrupt country of this continent. Believe it or not, uh, we're most corrupt than Cuba. Cuba is better <laughs> ranked than Venezuela. It's very sad, this situation. As the last relevant indicator of our poor performance in comparison with the world, we use the Professor Steve Hankes, uh, Misra Index. Uh, this index is the sum of the unemployment, uh, inflation, in fact, in Venezuela, hyperinflation, okay? The bank lending rates minus the percentage change in real GDP per capita. Well, <clears throat> Steve Hankes said, that Venezuela holds the inglorious spot of most miserable country of the world for 2016, as it did in 2015, and it is expected to 2017. And we, Venezuela, expect 2018 too. <clears throat> so, what are the results of the socialism in Venezuela? Well, Highest level of inflation and scarcity of our history. Uh, people eating garbage, schools that do not teach, hospitals that do not heal, long and humiliating lines to buy flour, bread, or basic medicines, the militarization of practically every aspect of the life, etc. In a nutshell, people living off the state and not at limited state, living for the people and by the people. Look. This, a crowd fighting for just two chickens. And this is old days in Venezuela. But all this is made in socialism. That is the seal of the, of the government. What about the minimum wage policy? Well, since May 1999, Hugo Chavez to July 2017, Hugo Chavez's son, Maduro, the minimum wage was increased 38 times. That represents 
more than 108,000 percent. But what happened? In May 1999, the basic basket represented to the 27 minimum wage. And today, you have to pay 5.70 minimum wage to obtain the basic basket. <clears throat> and the high-skilled professional wage, take, for example, uh, full professor. <laughs> My full professor. In the 1980s, the full professor needs to pay almost 15 minutes of his salary to buy one kilograms of beef. Now, today, in July 2017, a full professor needs to pay the equivalent of more or less 18 hours for buy one kilograms of beef. The socialism. <laughs> Other example, 1980s, full professor need to pay almost one year for a new sedan. Today, more or less 25 years of his salary. Okay? Other example, in the 1980s, a full professor with his monthly salary can buy, could buy um, 17 basic uh, baskets. Okay? Today, he can buy just uh, one quarter of a basic basket. <clears throat> and what about my, our money? Well, in March 2007, this was the highest uh, bill in our economy, 100 bolivars. And you could buy $28. 288 eggs or 56 kilograms of rice. Mm. Today, you can buy this. One of these. So, from March 2007 to July 2017, you need five of these bills to buy just one egg. Okay? So, socialism is the cause of the Venezuela misery. Venezuelans are starving, eating garbage, losing weight. Children are their nourished. But freely minded of socialism, like Stiglitz, Bernie Sanders, Pablo Iglesias, and other people think that Venezuelan socialism is the best. Anyone in Venezuela would be happy to eat out of America's trash cans. It will be considered gourmet when you have nothing. It's really, you have nothing. A lot of Venezuelans have nothing. Socialism sucks. Bernie Sanders, no matter what you say. <laughs> so Venezuela has a shortage of food, medicines, etc. Uh, on July 2017, more than the 16% of the products of the basic basket are really scarce. But this is socialism at its finest. <clears throat> this is the saddest reality of our health system. Free health for all Venezuelans, said the government. People dying because they do not find an antibiotic. 
or newborns placed in boxes because hospitals lacked cradles or incubators. See this picture? Newborns in a hospital in Venezuela. I guess uh, uh, any puppy in, in the United States or in any other country has a better bed than these children. Our children do not deserve this misery. <clears throat> Look at this picture. Um, an illegal worker. Sorry for take that example. An illegal worker uh, needs less than an hour for by this bottle of acetaminophen. Okay, but a full professor in Venezuela needs more than forty hours to buy that bottle, and if. He, he, if he, he finds it, okay? Because it's very, very difficult to find acetaminophen in Venezuela. Socialism at its finest. And meanwhile, our opposition, opposition leaders, keep negotiating freedom with a tyrannical regime at the expense of the suffering of millions. Citizens, are urged to regain hope, but in our view, these politicians have defrauded people. By the way, all of them are socialists, all of them, in different levels of socialism, but it, uh, they are socialists. Well, he is Chavista. He's the governor of, of my state, but he's Chavista. He is Leopoldo. He's the most uh, media coverage, but he's an Utopian social democrat. Okay. He, I think he 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 is in the Congress from Perez Jimenez. He's the oldest, the oldest of the opposition, but he's a dealer. He's, he has very business, very much business. Uh, Capriles loves Lula's socialism. He said that. Okay. So, what's the response of our society? Well, the young people are leading the fight for freedom in Venezuela, in spite of the of what the current political leaders instruct. They abhor to be called the opposition. They are the resistance. In Spanish, la resistencia. Actually, they are the real heroes of freedom in our country. But the world needs to know that they have been killed by a tyrannical government. We say that a new leadership must emerge since our current opposition also hates free markets. A new historical breaking point is urgently needed. 2000 when? We don't know. We hope today. We hope this night, tomorrow, this week. Perhaps 2018 will be very, very late for Venezuelans. Well, to conclude, I want to remark that we strongly believe that our misunderstanding caused the disaster. We, Venezuelans, never understood freedom in its proper dimension because when we enjoyed high levels of economic freedom, 
We allowed the destruction of political and civil rights. And when we finally established democracy, we allowed the destruction of economic freedom. As Hayek said once, freedom is just one thing, and our new leaders need to know that. In the name of Econitec, Movimiento Libertad Venezuela, the resistance, and millions of people in our country, we thank the Mises Institute for this opportunity to briefly tell the untold history of Venezuela. Thank you very much.